G'day guys and welcome to Caleb's Conversation Podcast, Episode 7. Catastrophe almost struck European football this week and what a week it's been. On the 18th of April 2021, an official announcement was made that almost all football fans around the world did not want to hear. The announcement of a European Super League featuring some of the biggest footballing clubs in the world. Now, I'm going to set the foundation for today's conversation with the important information that pertains to this ESL. That way, we're all on the same page and we all have the information for those who may have missed out or on the drama and also those who may not be fully aware of all the details that this ESL has um, put out there. So the official press release states that... 12 of Europe's leading football clubs have today come together to announce that they have established a midweek competition called the Super League. And the governed, or these, the clubs that have come together to found this competition are AC Milan, Arsenal, Atletico Madrid, Chelsea, SC Barcelona, Inter Milan, Juventus, Liverpool, Manchester City, Manchester United, Real Madrid, and Tottenham Hotspur. Now, these clubs have come together as the founding clubs. Um, they are tw- there are 12 teams there coming from England, Italy, and Spain. And there is hopes that there's going to be more clubs coming on board. But going forward, uh, the founding clubs look to be holding discussions with UEFA and FIFA to work together in partnership to deliver the best outcome for this league and football as a whole. The formation of the Super League comes at a time when the global pandemic has accelerated the instability in the existing European football economic model. Further, for a number of years, the founding clubs have had the objective of improving the quality and intensity of exciting European competitions throughout each season and of creating a format for top clubs and players to compete on a regular basis. The pandemic has shown that a strategic vision and a sustainable commercial approach are required to enhance value and support for the benefit of the entire European football pyramid. In recent months, extensive dialogue has taken place with football stakeholders regarding the future format of European competitions. The founding clubs believe the solutions proposed following these talks do not solve fundamental issues, including the need to provide higher quality matches and additional financial resources for the overall football pyramid. Now, the basic format of this competition would be that there is 20 participating clubs with 15 founding clubs. So there's the 12 clubs that we named earlier from England, Italy, and Spain. And there would be a further clubs to come on board to participate in this midweek competition that they state would also be added on on top of the already associated domestic competitions that they have been participating in. Now, that is a lot of information All of it uh, released by the official European Super League competition. Now, in the span of a couple days, we have gone from the founding clubs ready to mobilize and begin the league as early as August to the competition essentially crumbling. The crumbling was all thanks to the uproar in media, internally at the clubs, including players and coaches, but most importantly, the fans. Football is nothing without its fans, and the sport is only as worth as much as it is with them. So it is obvious that these clubs should be listening to their fans so that they can have a say on what happens in this amazing sport that we all love. 
to break down the highs and lows of the European Super League drama that has unfolded over the last few days. I have brought on two passionate football fans, Doyson and Shubin. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. I know it's a lot of information. I know we have plenty of thoughts. <sighs> Mate, what a crazy last couple of days it's been. What are you guys' initial thoughts on, on the competition that was announced uh, just a couple of days ago? Well, I guess when it first came out, I remember waking up to it and because it was at like seven o'clock our time when the, when the talks came I remember out. waking up to the news yeah, as well. and I was like, what is going on? Like, why have Arsenal signed on to this? And I remember thinking, what is happening here? This is like, I was panicking. And then the, the statement got released that it was official. And I was like, this is a mess. Like, we have to turn this around. Yeah, I, it was a complete disaster. I remember thinking at the time. I was actually awake for the Man United match that, that day. And at the halftime... Uh, report they actually said that they were going ahead with the plans really so yeah wow and that's when i started getting calls i'm like why is this happening why would they want to just start their own league it's like it's like messing up with this it's like you messing with your fans all over again Mm. Well, I'll say we should also clearly establish for those at home that don't know, I am obviously a Chelsea fan because I'm wearing, I'm representing the Chelsea blue here. Shubin, you're an Arsenal fan, right? To say the least. <laughs> and uh, you're not Manchester United, correct? Yes, that's right. So we have that unique perspective of we're all fans of the respective clubs that were associated with this bullshit. And to say bullshit is putting it lightly. I think the fact that this even came into existence to begin with I think is absolutely disgusting. Yeah, I love the way um, James Corden put it because I don't know if you saw the when he talked about it on his show, he went on like this seven-minute rant about like why it was an issue. And he pretty much said, because like obviously he has a primarily American audience who don't like, like there's not a lot of football fans over there. He, The way he put it to them was, what if Viola Davis, Meryl Streep, and like Emma Stone went and made their own Oscars and they were just like, only we three can win it. The rest of you have like the sub Oscars. Mm. I love the way you put that because it puts things into perspective really yeah, well. Yeah, that's, that's a good film analogy. I yeah. like that, yeah. There was, there, was another, there was another interesting news that part, part of the news that I saw last night uh, at around one o'clock. Uh, it was that uh, the Man United fans marched, they, they broke into the training complex, the first team training complex marched in, spoke to OGS, spoke to Michael Carrick, Darren Fletcher, and a couple of the players, uh, demanding for the Glazers to step down after Ed Woodward's uh, re- resigning. So. Yeah. Well, it's crazy to see the fan reaction that's been happening over the last couple of days. I know for the Chelsea-Brighton game, there was huge protests outside the stadium. They were basically yeah. blocking off the road for the players and coaches to get into the stadium. Um, I saw a video um, of those Chelsea protests, and, and you could see Petacek actually came out um, from uh, the management and stuff, and he came and spoke to the fans and kind of pleaded to them saying, you know, it's not our fault. The players and coaches are not to blame. Make sure that you're doing this safely and responsibly. And and you could totally understand the uproar and you know, anger that the fans have been showing because the, the honest truth, and there's no other way of looking at it, that these owners of these clubs, and the owners are the ones to blame. It's, it's very obvious, and, and we need to clearly establish that the clubs themselves... The coaching staff, the players are not to blame. Chelsea, United, Arsenal, you know, Juventus, Inter Milan, they're not the ones to blame, the clubs. It is the owners and the people in positions of power at these clubs, the chairmans, that have made this decision in order to try and create this thing, in order to make more money for their already filthy rich pockets. 
That's the only reason it's, that, yeah, it's that, been done. That's, yeah, that's, that's pretty much why. Because competition attracts more players. If there's no competition, you won't get the, the, the big names in, in football coming to your club. And that's the whole point of it. Exactly. For the football structure in England and in the other leagues, I guess, is a pyramid structure. The money that goes into the very top of the game in each domestic league flows down to grassroots level. If the top six teams leave, all the viewership, all the money going into the Premier League at the very top, it doesn't come down anymore. The grassroots level structure breaks, then slowly each league becomes more and more redundant, and then the whole game just becomes, you know, nothing. The example I heard was, you know, because this would be a midweek competition similar to the already established UEFA Champions League, was that, you know, if based off their proposed... Um, what they proposed was that they could be able to participate in their respective domestic competitions on top of this. And the way that I was hearing it, would they would be you know prioritizing games in the Super League and the Premier League, for example, would be basically become like that secondary competition. And the Premier League is one of the best competitions and, and well-run sports in the world because it has so much competition. There's so much possibilities and it's so unpredictable. And when you treat the Premier League, which is arguably, I would say, probably the most competitive um, domestic footballing um, league in Europe, like when you take that away and almost treat it like, you know, an EFL Cup or one of those like lower league cups yeah. that no one really cares about in the grand scheme of things, and you have, you know, your bench and your reserve players playing those games, it almost defeats the whole purpose because obviously everyone's going to be prioritizing the Super League because that's where the more money and viewership is going to be. And I just think that's a very sad reality that I don't even think these people really considered. It's shameful, yeah. Like, And also, let's say they do let's say they did, did that. they did do that um they fielded their second teams and their reserve teams in the premier league and then let's say west ham win the league or something or leicester win the league it means less do you know what i mean it's like the competition's out what have we achieved it's not like it's not uh, maybe in their heads they were like oh let's give someone else a chance to win the league it's not like that it's it's like they, those teams want to overcome the best sorry they want to overcome the best they don't want to they don't want the competition to leave the window and then you know say oh we won the league well, it goes back to when Leicester won the Premier League a couple exactly, years ago. Exactly. Like that, that them winning the league a couple years ago really set the foundation that any team can come into the Premier League despite your troubles, despite your history. If you get a good team, you get good management together, and you really work towards that goal of striving to beat the best and actually get some great momentum on your side, you can accomplish some of the, like something amazing. And Leicester proved that. And since they won the Premier League, they have been a top team in the Premier League. I would say that they're better than some of these other teams that have been considered for the Super League. No offense, but <laughs> Arsenal have no fucking right to be in a Super League. I know, I know. Why talk about Arsenal? At least we have history. Tottenham, how have Tottenham yeah, gotten their way into it? It's a fucking joke. That's what it is. It is shameful. It's purely because they have viewership rights. It, does, it actually, it genuinely doesn't make any sense. The current structure of... Premier League to Champions League is based completely on merit. The way the Super League was proposed has nothing to do with merit. It has to do with... who. who the, it's a popularity contest. 100%. It's who gets the most viewership? Who's the most popular club? You get to be in this special rich boys league and you can never leave. Even if you... Even... And, you know, in the proposed structure, the founding members could never be relegated. So even if... 
let's say Arsenal went there, I'm confident we'd get smacked 6-0 every week. Real Madrid, freaking Ronaldo's going to score hat-tricks on us every single week. We'd finish last. <laughs> And then we can't get relegated. We get another three point five billion or whatever it is. The next yeah. Yeah, it's just it's just a way for them to just make a paycheck. Exactly. Yeah, it's absolutely I think ridiculous. It's this principle that 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 uh, you know that the German clubs uh, the German club said no, we don't want to join you guys. Well, they have a very interesting situation because they have um, a fifty one percent ownership by the fans. Yes. And obviously, if those if this proposed plan was given to them, I can imagine that the fans would have definitely not agree with it as shown by all the teams that were associated with it, showed. So it's one of those things, obviously, I think it's admirable that Bayern Munich and, and PSG definitely said, no, definitely not. Let's you know stay out of this one. And it's a shame that especially those six Premier League teams were involved. And you know one of the news reports that I heard was that um, Chelsea and Manchester City were the two teams that were actually most hesitant about joining um, the Super League. And as a Chelsea fan myself, that... Gave me a little bit of like, okay, well, at least I've got that on my side. However, the bottom line is they still joined. Chelsea and Roman Abramovich still made the decision to join the Super League. So the fact that he made that decision proves that he can't be trusted because he still succumbed or succumbed to the pressure of wanting to get all these clubs involved in the Super League in order to make that money. And I think it's just, like you said, shameful because it basically means that these that these owners only were going into it for the search of more money in their pockets and not for the search of fair competition and, like you said, merit. I think sport should be essentially built on a meritocracy where everyone is playing and the best go to the best. And if you're not good, yes, you, you go down, you get relegated, you stuff like that. And to take that whole structure away and have this sort of competition where it's like, these are the teams that are in here, come watch them play, and everyone else can go fight, you know, for scraps. I just think that's incredibly rude and disrespectful to European football as a whole. Exactly. It just it completely. I mean, the whole thing started with with Joe Glazer because he's he he was the one with the idea. So basically, he's just thinking about money. He, he doesn't know sport. Who are we kidding? I mean, uh, recently in the news, I read that Conor McGregor wanted. <laughs> to buy Manchester United. I saw United. the headline. I, I, he wanted to buy Manchester United, but... but uh, he, he has I, no I mean, right buying it either. I mean, <laughs> he would, I mean, he would do some, like, you know, some justice by, by buying a sports, uh, a, a sports team because being a sportsman himself, he knows how much it means to him. True. But see, this is where I find that where it's interesting is I think uh, a lot of people in the media and a lot of politicians as well were calling for reform within the footballing sports structure and I think the best example to turn to is is these German clubs where they have, you know, the majority share owned by the fans. Again, I don't know how you do it because it just sounds like a whole lawyer mess yeah. up, but they, they need to restructure in a way where fans have a, de a definitive say on the outcomes of their club because I think it's just unfair that they don't have a say. And what's even more disgusting about this whole process, right, is that the contract for the Super League was 187 pages long. That means th this could not have been just drawn up last minute yeah. in a month, right? This, this has been in development yeah. for a long time. So that means that the owners of these clubs that, are in, that were in the Super League knew about this for a very long time, kept their mouth shut, didn't say anything. That means they turned up to Premier League and FA and UEFA meetings and said nothing, 
kept it behind that, you know, kept it from everyone else, you know, basically doing shady deals under the table, kept this information from the important people that needed to know about it. And then they revealed it at the very last minute, having told no one. The players and coaching staff didn't even know about it. And they were on the front line receiving all the criticism and questioning and they didn't even know how to respond. That's honestly quite cowardly, to be honest. I 100% agree. It's totally cowardly. And just the response from them since, I think, has also been very poor. I guess they've come out with a few apologies, but I don't trust you. I mean, you could see the reaction by James Milner in his, in his interview as well because he was totally dumbfounded. He was he was shocked. He, he didn't know what to say because he was he was caught offside, like, with with his uh, with this uh, ESL, so well, even Jurgen Klopp, he yeah, came out in twenty nineteen, yeah. being very outspoken against the the proposed, you know, Super League yeah. and and the idea that Liverpool and Real Madrid would play each other a couple times. Like it just the whole point of the UEFA Champions League is that it brings the best teams in Europe. They come together and they face off in this competition where you don't know how it's going to unfold. You know, you could have teams like Porto. Or you know, Ajax come through and, and, and top all those top dogs, and you never know what's going to happen. And what makes it exciting is that some of these big clubs verse each other very rarely, and that's what makes it exciting. Exactly. Chelsea exactly. and Real Madrid yeah. are coming up soon to play in a Champions League semi-final. Yeah. That hasn't happened in a very long time. Those two teams facing off, and that's what makes that fixture so exciting. I mean. The dream for, for, for EPL fans all over the world would be seeing an all-English final, Champions League final. That would be pretty cool. It would be, yeah. Having two years ago. Yeah, Spurs yeah, Liverpool, yeah, that's yeah. right, yeah. It did, yeah. Uh, it's just, it just doesn't make sense to me that these owners and that the people that were founding this competition didn't even consider the repercussions from this. And I've heard from, from key members within the board that have made these key decisions for the Super League is that their their whole idea is that the the European UEFA um, competition structure needs to be changed in order to fix certain key issues that have been uh, residing within these competitions the last couple of years. Honestly, that the statements released by like um, the Glazers and Perez, the you know the spokespeople for this Super League, they. All that said to me was they don't understand how the sport works yeah. at all. Because what Perez said after it got cancelled was, um, you know, people between the age of 18 and 24 don't like the sport anymore. I'm 21. I stay up till 5 a.m. to watch Arsenal lose 3-0 every week. <laughs> I wouldn't do that if I didn't enjoy the sport. I love the sport. There's, I mean, yes, it does require like a bit of change, you know, you know, in structure to change things once in a while. Nothing that drastic. That's why the Champions League, I think, are going into their new proposal next week or something to change the format of the group stages and stuff, which is fine. Like, if you change a little bit of structure within each competition, it, you know, it. I guess it keeps things updated and interesting, but you don't just make a whole new league to solve that. Mm. Well, you know what's funny about, because you mentioned that they're doing that reform and stuff, everything that they mention in their press release is that there needs to be an economic change to the way these competitions are conceived. And I think it's so obvious, and there's no hiding from it. It's so obvious that these guys are just trying to take advantage of the wealth, power, and fame of these big clubs. Definitely, yes. And trying to make as soak as much money out of people as much as they can because 
I just it doesn't make sense to have these teams verse each other on like a weekly basis. It just there's nothing to me that stands out as like that's something that needs to happen in football because the Champions League already gives us that on a semi-regular basis and it's so much more exciting for it. Yeah, if you like you said Chelsea playing um Madrid in a few weeks, right? That's ha- hasn't happened in ages. If that was happening twice a year every year, you'd get so bored of it by like the third season, even the, like the second season. I'd get the bored. The players of it. would get bored of it. The players exactly. They, they would leave. Mm-mm. And and then where would your viewership go then? They'd they'd go back and join the the smaller teams like Leeds Leeds United and Sheffield well, well Wednesday. So it, it's just like, it baffles me because the whole point of these big clubs versing each other, and especially the Champions League, is it has so much prestige around it. You know, the the Champions League anthem when it plays before a game, that is prestige right there. You know when you hear that anthem, like, shit is about to go down and it's going to be epic. Yeah. And to take that away from the fans and the players especially, I just think it's just absolutely... I, I I still can't believe that it actually got to the stage that it did and that it got... We got to a stage where it almost happened. Yeah. I'll say if it wasn't for the enormous backlash that was received, this could have happened. And the, the scary thing is it still could happen because this thing isn't completely dead. It's yeah. crumbling. The foundation has been lost because those Premier League teams b- dropped out. But this still could be res- there still could be a resurgence of this in a couple of years' time. And I think it is very important that we have these structure changes within the Premier League within these other competitions so that it is a much more fairer competition so that everyone is on a fair uh, merito- uh, so a fair system where it's meritocracy first and that everyone is in a situation where they can participate in a way that is fair and best for the, the whole sport as a yeah. whole. Yeah, in regard to what you said about how this could still happen in a couple of years, I think it's great that fans you know despite the fact that this is crumbling right now fans are still saying no we are still going to protest we are still going to get the owners kicked out like arsenal plan to have a the fans plan to have a protest well today friday um and then the news came out that the super league wasn't going to happen and the fans still said no we're still going to go we're still going to protest stan Kroenke, get him kicked out get our voices heard so that this doesn't happen in the future again, which is what needs to happen, I think. 100%. And it's a tricky situation because I don't know how that reform will take place. I I think it does need some form of government oversight, but it's one of those things, like I think Gary Neville um, had a a, a wonderful rant on, uh, I think it was a Sky uh, or BT Sport or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And... um, he, he everything he laid out in that little little monologue I thought was bang on the money. There needs to be some sort of independent regulators that come in and just make sure that everything is in a way that is fair for everyone. There isn't any shady stuff going on behind the scenes and that the fans have a say. Because this is what's very interesting about since the pandemic started, right, is that, and I think what gives more evidence to the owners in regards to their inception of this competition was that because there's been no fans in the stadiums, people have resorted to watching it through the broadcast, right? Which means more money is coming through the broadcast. So from their perspective, they can see, they they saw the opportunity for them to be like, all right, we're not getting that match day experience. 
let's try and soak up as much of that revenue from the broadcasting packages because that's where all the money is coming from. And the scary thing about that is they are still making shitloads of money through the broadcast packages and no one's in the you know, no yeah, one's in the stadiums yeah. at the moment. So for them, they're looking at it in a way where it's like, you know, we don't we don't need fans in order to keep this sport going and keep it profitable. I think uh, for the for for the next, I think the FA Cup, I think they are giving the fans a couple of tickets, twenty twenty thousand tickets. Oh yeah, they are giving the fans free tickets just just to watch them just to watch the match. Okay, the FA is. Well, see, them. it's strange because the COVID situation over in Europe is still pretty like you know they're still on thin ice over yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, which is such a shame because you know. Football is nothing without its fans. Definitely. And, you know, that sort of, those reactions where you have, you know, where a goal is scored and everyone goes absolutely ballistic. Like, that's what you, that's what sport's all about, is that coming together and, and that rivalry of, you know, us versus them, but in a positive, um, in a positive way that is accepted where there are, are rules that are established. It's us versus them and, and that tribalistic nature. But we know at the end of the day, we're all there to enjoy the same thing. Yeah. And and that's what I love about sport is that competitive nature where it's like, you know, we can get together and we want to beat you, but, you know, we know it's going to be a tough road there. And, and that's what's so great about the Premier League is that you can it's have crazy results Definitely. where Chelsea can go 5-2 down to West Brom. It's exactly. like crazy shit can like, you know, Arsenal had a draw with Fulham the other yeah. day. Yeah. Like crazy shit can just happen where, you know, the last place team can sometimes topple the top of the, you know, top of the peak. Yeah. So it's just uh, crazy stuff team, like that that makes it exciting. We have West Ham and uh, Aston Villa beating the top teams. So. Exactly. Well, exactly. West Ham have performed very well this season in the Premier League. They have. And the fact that they're competing for top four is unbelievable. West Ham in the Champions League. Wow. Wow. Well, it's, yeah, it's crazy to think that they could potentially make it. And I found it funny that when um, Jurgen Klopp said in a, in a post-match interview that, you know, he what he loves about the Premier League is that the fact that anyone can make it into those positions and that he thinks that, you know, West Ham could make it there. And that he obviously hopes that they don't because obviously Liverpool want to make top four, yeah. of course. But it was just funny seeing his reaction to this whole Super League drama, as well as seeing all the other coaches' perspectives as well. Um, Pep Guardiola had a pretty good rant as well with regards to competition and, and that sort of competitive nature that sport provides, especially in the Premier League. Yeah, what's ironic about the day that the Super League got announced is the three games that happened in and around that time was Arsenal drew to Fulham, Chelsea drew to Brighton, and Liverpool drew to Leeds. So all these clubs that said, we're better than you, we're going to leave and go make our own league, they drew to the clubs that they were saying they were better than, mm. which was I'm pretty so sure ironic. that was similar. Yeah, exactly. Very ironic. But also, I'm pretty sure there was a similar thing in Spain as well. I think Real Madrid also had a draw. Mm. And um, I think maybe Juventus also had like a draw as well. Sign so from like, God. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just it's just funny that, like you said, it's very ironic that these clubs who think that they're top shit and that they're untouchable, and that they have so much, you know, they're basically like just they're prestige clubs, right? You know, you look at these badges and they're so recognisable around the world, right? Not just in Europe, but here in Australia. In the United States, you know, like you can go to any part of the world and you see the Real Madrid logo and you're like, that's, that's the Madrid, yeah. you know, you know, you, you look at the Barcelona logo and you're like, I know the history of that club because they've been like at the highest level for a long, long time. You look at the Arsenal logo, you laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Your words, not mine. <laughs> but it's, it's funny though, because like, I just don't understand 
the thought process behind the selection process as well because there was these 12 founding clubs that came together and created this league to begin with and then their idea was that there was going to be three more founding clubs as well who the fuck is going to come on board and join like obviously PSG and Bayern Munich came out and said no no Dortmund thanks Dortmund said no Dortmund as well you, I, I would assume maybe that was the other three clubs that could have potentially yeah. taken it but those three clubs said no so who else Ajax maybe I like was Ajax even considered they have a they're a club that they're has so history. much great history they have similar and, to and Arsenal. they have potential they have like yeah, they're their, their players are like everywhere they have spawned some of the best they have. talent in world they football have. the last couple of years and they've been very competitive as well they were in the Champions League semi-finals two years they ago were. and then they sold all their players I yeah, know but yeah. they, they were still up there and also in regards to PSG I was just thinking about this yesterday um Obviously, the German clubs declined the offer because they're owned by fans, like we said. But PSG, what was interesting is now FIFA has a... FIFA and this ESL, they're like clashing heads, aren't they? FIFA was saying, if your players play in the ESL, they can't play in the World Cup. PSG are owned by Qatar. Qatar is hosting the next FIFA World Cup. I'm thinking the owners didn't want to have an issue with that. So if the Super League went ahead, maybe after the World Cup, PSG would have said, okay... Can we accept that invite now? Mm. Okay, yeah, that's that's a sticky situation. I mean, I think that for football clubs all all over the world should, uh, you know, should have that rule where fifty one percent is owned by the fans. Mm. Agreed. That way, this 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 ESL bullshit wouldn't be up anymore. Exactly. But yeah, you know what's really scary about this whole situation is that you know we're 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 in a situation where this competition really sets the foundation where you can really see that these clubs are in such great positions of power where they can really put their foot forward and try and change things in the whole landscape of football in that continent, which is pretty scary, right? Just to make their wallets fatter. Yeah, Hmm. definitely. It's it's nothing but a business move. Nothing else. It's nothing but a business move. These guys do not know sport. And they're not, they don't respect the sport. Well, it's a bunch of foreign investors Definitely. that have come on board who don't understand the culture, don't understand the history, don't understand the importance to the people. Like, I remember I watched a um, documentary on Netflix called Sunderland Till I Die. Um, and it's a docuseries that follows the Sunderland team. Um, it started a couple of years ago when they got um, relegated from the Premier League and then relegated again. So when they got relegated back to back. And just that show was so eye-opening to me because obviously I, I you know we live in australia right and the sporting culture over here is is obviously very unique and very different to what it is in europe and this documentary focused on sunderland and they're a small town that um has a, a small economy uh, sorry a small economy and they have you know a very um well-knit culture that has you know great camaraderie with everyone that's involved and you know these people go to work five days a week. They make their hard-earned money. That isn't a lot. They don't make a lot because it's not a very profitable um, little town. But they make their money and then they spend that money on the weekend's games to go watch their Sunderland team play on the weekends. And it was just so – it took my breath away, the fact that a sporting team can have such an impact on a culture. And what I found fascinating about that was that when the team lost, obviously Sunderland went through a very bad patch of form when they got relegated two seasons in a row. And 
just to see how the team's performance affected the morale of the town and to see how people changed and how they reacted to it was just it was so amazing to me because it was a great reflection of how important sport is to people and how important these clubs are to people and how important their where they live and where they come from is so uh, so a part of their you know social and cultural identity and when you watch stuff like that it's just it, it makes you feel happy and sad at the same time that you know because you can see when it's going bad for people that you get that you know tinge of sadness because it's like damn you know the team's not doing well and, and it's really affecting everyone but then the the opposite side of that is when your team is doing fantastic and when you're having success and when you're winning trophies Definitely. or when you're getting promotion you're climbing your way up that football pyramid that's the shit that everyone loves to see and when you can get that camaraderie and everyone's you know singing songs and and yeah. having that joy together as a celebration that's what sports about and the fact that these you know owners that were spearheading this program were just so oblivious to this whole side of football and i understand football and sport especially is a business and these businessmen were looking at it like a business but they also need to understand that sport is so much more than that and it means so much more than that it's culture it's it's downright culture that's it well people you know like they live and breathe this stuff on a daily basis Definitely. yes and you know in the current world that we live in you know games are played almost like every three or four days right so it, it is a part of our lives and our consumption of of entertainment i mean it this 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 esl was a bit uh a stressful for the players as well if you see they'd be playing midweek then they'd be playing on the weekends and then champions league again so i mean they wouldn't be getting any rest that means they would be demanding more pay mm. and if they don't get that pay they'd leave the clubs well see this There's is what's, competition again what's fascinating about this and i'm interested to hear your opinions on this was that once all this information came out the uefa fifa the premier league everyone came out and said we are opposed to this and if this goes through there will be some serious consequences some of the consequences that were thrown out there by those people uh, that the people who are in charge of those respective organizations said that players or the teams obviously wouldn't be able to compete in their respective domestic competition yep. so premier league teams couldn't be a part of the premier league anymore they couldn't be a part of the champions league and potentially players would not be allowed to represent their their country at the national level yep. what are your thoughts on that I mean, I think it was bang on. I, yeah, they did whatever they could. I mean, going to drastic measures, they did whatever they could to stop the ESL from 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 happening. I was really disheartened by it, but I, I would have done the same thing. I would have opposed same threats. Like since I was young, my like life dream is watch Arsenal win the Champions League. I don't know if that's going to happen, but if you know, if they went ahead and said, you know, players can't, your teams can't play in the Champions League, then that dream is completely cut off without the possibility of it ever happening that's mm. that's every football fans like exactly, dream exactly. to see their team win the champions league 100% to, to see their team best uh, you know be the best in europe so yeah must feel nice hey guys yeah. <laughs> man well also ask me that question in a couple of weeks we'll see how we go but no i'm in the same page as, as you guys i think the consequences needed to be harsh and i'm still of the opinion that there needs to be consequences despite the competition crumbling and what what I find interesting and, and why I was so intrigued to hear the players' perspectives on all this was that, you know, if this all went ahead and 
the ability to represent your country at a national level was taken away from you, like I just couldn't imagine any worse feeling than that. Just like, yeah, especially some of these young players, you know, that could represent England, like yeah, Mason yeah, Mount, yeah. Reese James, you know, you know, Alexander Arnold, you know, like Jordan Henderson. Like obviously he's a bit, you know, older now, but some of these great players that if that was taken away from them, you know, to represent your country and obviously the Euros coming up or the upcoming Qatar World Cup. Like I just and to not have any control over it. Because it's not like you as the players are like, Yeah, I don't want to play international. Let's go play ESL. That'll be fun. It's like they didn't even they weren't even told about this until we and everyone else around the world was hearing about it. Exactly. Which is just disgusting. The dream. I think the, the next step would be just 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 to get these 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 owners to step down yeah. and you know 100%. forfeit their forfeit their share in the in the you know team. That's it. Mm. I'll say I, I agree. I think that next definitely needs to be the next step with regards to consequences. Is that I think all these respective owners of these clubs 100% need to stand down and remove themselves from the clubs because they cannot be trusted. You know, I saw, you know, the other day that the um, Liverpool um, uh, chairman, uh, whose name is escaping me right now, but he released a video, like an apology video um, on the Liverpool social media. And he basically came out and said, you know, we made a mistake. I'm sorry that this happened. And we didn't consider all of these factors. And to me, I look at that, it's just all PR trying mm. to spin the story and gain sympathy. And I had a very, I don't like to do this on social media because social media is a cesspool. <laughs> um, but I had a quick flip through the comments and, and was looking at the reactions to that Liverpool video on, on their Facebook. And, and it was a lot of people being like, yep, people make mistakes. We understand. That's okay. And to me, I hold the complete opposite opinion. I think these people cannot be trusted anymore. Because, yeah. If if they're still at the respective clubs, they can do it again. Well, exactly. They can form a bigger, you know, bigger pool to that, that 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 says yes, they can win over FIFA and maybe UEFA. Yeah, who's stopping them from it. trying again in a couple yeah, of years? Yeah. And to me, it just like the fact that this was in development for such a long time, and they didn't tell anyone about it, and that means that they were lying each step of the way to people in uh, those important positions of power at UEFA. You know, in the FA, they were lying to the own to their to their to own, their own clubs, exactly to their own staff to yeah. their own players. So, so to me, that is just that's clear and obvious. You know, you can't be trusted. Get out of the club. That's plain and simple, in my opinion. I think it was the fans that drove Edward Wood out of the club. It it was the fans that made him resign. Mm. It's because pressure the, from them. these men have tarnished the legacy of these clubs now. And as a fan who had no control over that, yeah. I think it's just incredibly. You know, unfortunate. Just curious, what would you guys have done if the Super League went ahead? Because I remember I was saying to my friends, I was like, if this goes ahead and, you know, we stop playing the Premier League, we stop playing Champions League and, you know, Optus buys the rights to the Super League, I'm not paying, I'm cancelling my subscription. Mm. I'm not wearing Arsenal jerseys I'm not going to watch it. Yeah, exactly. I'd, I'm not I'd rather watch the, the smaller teams in, in the Prem. Yeah, that's exactly. That's, well, that's, I mean, the smaller teams, like, take it from me, the smaller teams play much better football than the bigger ones because they want to get to the top levels. The top levels are just playing to just stay on there, you know, stay, stay up there. But the smaller ones are fighting harder to make it to the top. Mm. So there's more competition there. Yeah. Well, it was definitely a situation where a lot of people came out and said, you know, this is the type of shit that makes you disown a club. Yeah. And it's, it's this type of behavior that 
really breaks down trust, you know, and, and it really makes people question their own loyalty as well. And I think it's it's interesting that you said that you would cancel your subscription and then stop supporting your club. I don't think you're alone in that. I think a lot of people would have done that. I, I, I don't know what I would have done, honestly, now that I think about it. Because I love watching Chelsea Football Club. I love watching the way we play. We've had a lot of managers over the last couple of years. But for the most part, I've always enjoyed the way we play our football and the style of football we play. Um, obviously, having Frank Lampard for the last season and a half before he was sacked was something special for us as a football club because club legend. Best you know, ever player. Arguably. Top, top yeah. goal scorer. Yeah. You know, coming back and and really imparting his his legacy from a managerial standpoint was was really profound. And obviously, him leaving was was um, an interesting situation. But in hindsight, um, Abramovich did make the right decision because obviously Thomas Tuchel came on board and has really demonstrated his proficiency and and tactical masterclass. Because since he has um, come on board, he has beaten Guardiola, Klopp, um, Ancelotti. Um, Diego Simeone twice he's beaten so many of the top managers in the world in like a very short space of time not and not Ole Gunnar Solskjaer yet but <laughs> you know what I think we'll I think you guys might still be in your honeymoon period because it's been what two months since Tuchel got appointed um, since January so beginning right. of the year right so three yeah three months-ish that's a very early period and even if you do win the Champions League this season I don't know how you're going to go next season mm. Because, well, as an Arsenal fan, when Arteta came in, I was like, oh, this is amazing. We're playing phenomenal football. We're ninth right now. It, it was a big downfall. We won the FA Cup, which obviously is in the Champions League. But it's interesting to see how new managers go after those initial five, six months. Yeah, it'll be interesting because I feel like with regards to Chelsea, they have a very unique situation where Frank Lampard, when he was appointed the job, I feel like he was almost given that role because no one else was like no top managers were in the market and he was the best option. That would be a good morale boost for the club. And that first year he was in charge, he had so many things against him. You know, he had the, you know, he couldn't, he had the transfer ban, couldn't, you know, spend any of his money. Um, you know, Eden Hazard had just left and, and you know, had a, I, I basically a, a plethora of young players coming into the squad and somehow he pulled it all together and, and was able to get top four, which was a huge overperformance. No one expected Lampard and Chelsea to make top four last year. So him overperforming last year really almost set himself up for failure in a way because it was Mm. like now the bar was like set down here. You've way overreached it. So now we're going to move the bar all the way up here. And it's like the bar was already really high. It's like now you want us to go the extra level. And yeah, so I think especially when he made all those big signings as well, it really kind of put him in the deep end because it's like you brought in all this great talent that has potential and unfortunately they couldn't get firing. And I don't think that was necessarily Lampard's fault. I think he definitely played a huge role in that. And I, I definitely have criticisms of Lampard's style, but I think it's very clear that Chelsea is in an interesting transition phase. And I think the way you put it, the honeymoon phase, I, I think I think that's accurate. Yeah. Do you think you'll win the Champions League this season? I fucking hope so. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's so funny because, like, the way everything is transpiring, it it seems possible. And we've got a great team. We've got the players that can – we can do it. We 100% can do it. It's just 
if we can beat Real Madrid, I think that'll put us into a position where it'll give us the confidence and the belief to actually win it. Because Manchester City, we just beat them yeah. a couple of days ago in the FA yeah. Cup. So they're fucking easy. We can deal with Manchester City. PSG, that's a whole entire beast because they've got some great quality. They've got, obviously, Mbappe, um, Neymar. Um, so they'll definitely be a, a tough team. They made it to the final last year under Tuchel. So I am cautiously optimistic. I believe we can. And if we do, I'll, I'll be so fucking happy. But we'll see how we go. Yeah. Honestly, when I saw the draw come out that you were facing Atletico, I was like, they're out. Mm. Simeone is too defensive for Chelsea. They are crashing out. And then Giroud scores a bicycle kick. I'm like, what's going Such on Such a here? great goal. So good. Honestly, his compilation of best goals, if you yeah. show that to your kids, yep. they think that he's the best player of all time. Mm. He's so underrated as a striker. It's a shame he doesn't get to you know, more first-team football. Yeah, he. I mean, as an Arsenal fan, I can speak on this because he's so irritatingly inconsistent. Mm. Or like he was at least in his prime. He's a bit more of a... Does he start every game for you now? No. No, nah, he's a bit more of a bench player. Yeah, hey. yeah when he was... I, I still say to this day, he cost us our best years because, oh my God, when we should have won the league in 2016, he went on like a 20-game scoring drought. <sighs> so upsetting. Mm. Well, it's it's so funny about the Premier League especially is that because it is such a competitive um, competition, some of the best players in the world still struggle. And I, I always found that conversation interesting, especially around Timo Werner. Yeah, who has come I was into, coming to that. Yeah, who has come into the Premier League and, and has severely struggled in goal scoring wise. He's actually performed quite well for the team. When you actually look at his stats and break him down, he's doing a lot of stuff that's actually really positive for the team. But so many people judge players like that, especially strikers, based off your output and your goals that you score. And he has struggled in that department. So as a result, people think that he's been a failure. But he has been doing a lot of good stuff. And I think that conversation is interesting because Timo Werner is an example of a great player with so much great talent coming to the Premier League and struggling. Whereas you look at Bruno Fernandes of Manchester United, he came into the Premier League and he just slotted straight in. And he has been top class for United yeah. since he came. Thoughts on Bruno Fernandes? Oh, he's he's been phenomenal. Like from the moment he stepped in, assisting, scoring, he's been uh, his his absolute masterclass. Mm. And that's the funny thing is that I feel like some players just have it. You know, I remember those conversations when, um, oh, I guess maybe it was even late last year as well, when Lionel Messi was going through all those uh, contract, uh, all the contract drama. It'd be funny to see if, if Lionel Messi did ever leave Barcelona and he did come to a Premier League team, most likely City because yeah. they're probably the, because they got the money. They've yeah. got the money. And yeah. Pep, yeah. Yeah. But if he did come to the Premier League, obviously he's nowhere near his prime now, but would he still perform to his same ability in the Premier League, which that's, is a very physical league. That's the argument that's been there over the years, hasn't it? But then the counter-argument is every time Messi's faced Premier League teams in the Champions League, he ruins them. He's got like 10 goals against Arsenal in three games or something like that. He's got like five goals against City in two games or something like that. Mm. His scoring record's phenomenal. And if he's doing that against the top teams, I don't see why he's not scoring, you know, double hat-tricks against Aston Villa, you know, on a Tuesday night or something 100%, like that. 100%, yeah. I'll say, yeah, it is funny to see those sort of cultural differences between the different countries and the different levels in their competition. Yeah. So, because obviously the Premier League is a very um, defensive, physical league. Physical league. Whereas, yeah. like the the La Liga is a very um, counter-attacking, uh, fast-paced, fast-paced league. Yeah. yeah. So, um, to bring us back to the ESL, 
Um, I think we touched on it earlier, um, but when you guys found out about it, like what were your initial reactions? Like, did you immediately think this is going to go down? Like this is going to happen? Or were you hopeful that was going to crumble? I was hopeful that it, that it should crumble because, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a kick on every sports fans, you know, back, you know, like it's a kick in the ass. That's mm. it. They, when they released the statements, I thought this will go through because despite the fan uproar, despite what myself and millions of others were posting on social media against the ESL, I just figured the clubs and the owners were just going to disregard that because that's what they had done to mm. form the Super League anyway. So I just thought our opinions wouldn't have been validated mm. at all and the Super League would have been formed. Yeah, oh, I was I was very um, I was very cautious with this whole situation because I remember when the news first came out, I was like, wait, what? This is, this is a thing? This is happening? I was just so shocked. Um, I remember going onto my phone and, and checking the news and, uh, you know, and just seeing all these articles and being like, what the hell is happening? And then you start seeing some of the coverage um, and, and hearing some of the pundits from you know the UK talk about it, and just seeing the the potential knock-on effects that it would cause. It was just it was almost like doomsday for football. Like you know, Rio Ferdinand put it very well. This is a war on football, and like we mentioned earlier, you know, Gary Neville had a very good um, outlook on it as well. And I thought even his conversation with Jamie Carragher, um, on Monday night football was, was also very good. And it it is fascinating to see how everyone reacted. And it was great to see because it was almost a unifying of everyone, despite our rivalries and our teams, you know, like Tottenham and Arsenal, you know, you know, bitter rivals. Right. And yet those fans, still came together on this issue and were like, something needs to change and we need to stop this in its tracks. Because and that was beautiful to see. If we didn't stop it, there would be no rivalry to enjoy. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah. I agree. Mm. Well, exactly. Like I remember when, you know, during the um, Chelsea protest before the game, I remember seeing, you know, one of those protest signs was, you know, we want our cold night in Stoke. Yeah, exactly. And it's just stuff like that that, you know, you would miss as part of, you know, that English football experience. And uh, yeah, so... My question to you guys now is, now that everything is kind of crumbling, what do you think the next phase will be with regards to potential consequences or with regards to reactions and, and, and how these teams are interpreted moving forward? What do you think is going to happen in the foreseeable future? Um, it's really hard to tell. Um, because it's crumbling, I don't think any clubs will be sanctioned. I don't think there's going to be any bans for any players in any competition. So you don't think UEFA and FIFA are still going to step uh, step up and, and do something about it? I don't think so because the clubs pulled out. I think now I'd I'd still get it if the if the consequences were there, but I do think it might be a bit harsh because like the plans were there for two days and then they were out. Well, mm. I feel the consequences should be there for the owners. To, I mean, to step down from, you know, the UEFA meetings and the FIFA meetings. I think they should be, you know, banned from from the meetings because if they can conspire once, what's stopping them from, from, from doing it again? Mm, so I think there should be consequences for, for those guys. Maybe get them to step down and get the fans to own like a 51% of, of, the, of the club. That's it. I'm on the exact same page as we yeah. do. I think the owners definitely need to be removed from these clubs because they are a parasite that is leeching off the system that has proved to be very profitable for them, they need to be removed from the footballing program. And I think, yeah, I, I still will be interested to see how 
um, the consequences are interpreted moving forward because, like I said, I, I think there needs to be some. Um, how harsh or lenient they will be, I don't know. But it's 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 funny to see how quickly this whole uh, situation has developed over the last couple of days. You know, like when the news dropped um, a couple of days ago, when it all kicked off, um, I was just I was so angry and furious. I just I just I needed to voice my opinion in some way. But I'm glad that I um, we, we took a couple of days to let the let the um, situation settle. And uh, now we've got a full, well-rounded story of the beginning and ending yeah, of the uh, of the Super League, which I think is funny. Um, you know that gif of um, from the Simpsons of Grandpa Simpson walking into the, uh, oh, yeah. the bar, and then leaving, puts the hat yeah. on, and then goes in, and then walks straight back out. That is the Super League in a nutshell, right there. And I thought that was, that was quite funny. So, um, yeah, do you guys have any final thoughts on regards to um, the ESL and these teams that have uh, been associated with it? Um, no, we covered a lot actually, and you made a good point there because this podcast would have taken such a different tone if we did this like three days earlier. Yeah, it would have been such a mess. I would have been like, no, why are Arsenal joining? You know, um, but yeah, I think I'm so happy that everything's calmed down, and you know, all the English clubs have pulled out, and every team's pulling out now. But yeah, this would have been a different conversation if it ha- if it all had to go down. Definitely. I mean, we 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 would have been a bit. I mean, a bit less less calmer. We've been more angrier than than usual. But yeah, we are really happy that it all crumbled. I'm, I'll, I'll probably be more happier once the owner stepped down, mm. you know, and 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 hand over the clubs, you know, back to the fans because football is nothing without its fans. Yeah, I'm of the opinion where I think this has been a roller coaster of emotions these last couple of days. I remember, you know, waking up. You know, when all this news dropped and being like, what the hell's going on? And then just every you know hour for the next couple of days, I was just constantly refreshing, trying to find out what's happening next. What's the latest update? What's going to happen to not only Chelsea, but all these great clubs? Because they have such a great reputation. And, and I feel like the actions of a few have really tarnished that. And it's such a shame because, you know, these clubs represent so much to people. And so much to, you know, the competitiveness of sport. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, the aftermath of it all. And for the rest of this foreseeable season, the Premier League is obviously coming to an end. The Champions League is coming to a close. Um, It'll be interesting to see what the reception is if um, the teams that were associated with um, the Super League, um, such as Real Madrid, Chelsea um, or Manchester City, whether those three teams were still associated in the pre- uh, sorry, in the Champions League, if they do end up winning it, um, what the opinions will be on that? Because obviously, a lot of people still think that they should be you know kicked out or you know removed or um, points deducted in the Premier League, all that type of stuff. So um, I'll say, I'd yeah. be I'd I'd be happy if uh, City got some points deducted. <laughs> yeah, well, I, <laughs> say, I think we all would, right? Definitely. I say I think it's more than clear that they're going to win the Premier League <laughs> yeah. this year. Yeah. Um, yeah. I say they deserve it, similar to Liverpool last year, where they kind of just ran away they with it. Yeah. yeah. So, but I think yeah, Manchester City. It's funny though. They had um, before they got knocked out um, by Chelsea the other day. I looked at their team, their roster, and Pep Guardiola, and I was like, the quadruples on on for them. If they are going to win anything this year, it would be a great fairy tale if they did win all four. And I was nervous about that because I knew if they were going to do that, they had to bypass Chelsea at, at some stage. Yeah. yeah. And 
the fact that Chelsea have now beaten them has now taken away their quadruple uh, dreams. So now I'm like, fuck it. They can get, they can get fucked. Yeah. They can, hopefully they don't make it to the final because then there'll be that small part of me that's like, I think Manchester City probably up there with Bayern Munich is probably the, the best team in Europe. So yeah. they probably deserve to win the Champions League for the first time in their history. But as a, as a proud Chelsea supporter, I'll be you know living and breathing that City if they do their, make it. City have got their cup final in this weekend, haven't they, against yeah. Spurs? Yeah. Yes. You know what's funny about that is I, we won't really dive into this now, but Jose Mourinho obviously yeah, was sacked exactly. during this whole process. And, and, and the Super League news was so monumental that Jose Mourinho, one of the top managers in the world, got sacked. And that was like a B story to everything, exactly. which I think is a great reflection of, of the, the the stakes of all of this. And it was sort of covered up as the, the club released a statement saying it's purely results related, but you don't, no one, no one sacks a manager four days before a cup final. Well, I think, yeah, I think it's incredibly disrespectful to sack a manager a couple of days before a cup final because he has done all the work to get them to that stage. Definitely. And then you're going to take that away from them. Or from him? Yeah. I think that is incredibly rude. And probably because he spoke up against the ESL. That's why I think... I wouldn't be surprised. I definitely, yeah, mm. yeah. I'll say, I, I'm sure there's more to that narrative, but, you know, Jose Mourinho is a very diplomatic person and, and yeah. he, he's not going to, you know, speak out of turn. But, you know, it, it, I think... I, I feel sorry for Jose because he's had a... Um, a lot of uh, tough decisions, you know, given against him the last couple of seasons with his respective teams. And, you know, I, I, he's definitely still a top manager, but he's definitely lost his edge, I would say. Mm. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where he ends up. It'll be interesting to see where all these top clubs, top, I say top clubs, you know, the, the, these owners have just, <laughs> have just distinguished that. But, you know, I think that's definitely a debatable, debatable argument. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this all unfolds over the coming days. And I'm glad that we've had a beginning, middle, and we're coming to an end with the ESL. Hopefully this is the last time we ever really have to talk about it in depth and that the ESL never makes a resurgence because the consequences it could have not only on European football, but world football and, and, and you know the culture of world football, I think is profound and, and yeah, like I said, there needs to be some sort of consequences. What they will be, I'm not too sure. But again, I'm excited to see the end of the season conclude with you know with my team Chelsea. So yeah, hopefully it's a a a, a great end to the season with some good trophies. So yeah, you could get a double. We could, we could. That would be that would be something special. But mm. we'll see how we go. The legacy of Frank Lampard and and the, the carrying of the torch by Thomas Tuchel, yeah, would be very cool. So we'll see how we go. Yep. Doyson Shubin, thank you very much for coming on the podcast and discussing this ESL drama with me. Um, hashtag no to the Super League. Yeah. Am I right? <laughs> I'll say it is crazy how much uh, impacts fans can have on social media and, and through all these hashtag campaigns. We've seen so much evidence of that uh, recently when, in so many different industries. But I'm glad in this situation it's worked for the positive. So, yeah. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Thank I, you I really for having, thanks for having us. Um, that is the end of this conversation. Thank you very much for watching or listening or wherever you are aware wherever you are around the world, if I can get my words out. Uh, make sure you are subscribed and following the podcast links and uh, I will catch you in another video um, sometime in the future. So catch you later.